1: We will continue on a remorseless mission to squeeze
2: Russia from the global economy piece by piece, day by day, and week by week. One thing, of course, we could also do is to make an open and unconditional offer to Ukrainian refugees to house in the United Kingdom. We haven't seen all of what Putin's going to do at the
1: moment. We do not know what his end goal is. You're listening to Bloomberg Westminster, your daily guide to British politics. I'm Ewan Potts.
3: And good afternoon. I'm Caroline Hepker. On today's programme, we'll bring you our interview with the International Trade Secretary, Anne-Marie Trevelyan. And we speak to Drew Hendry, the SNP's trade spokesperson. Plus the latest analysis on the war in Ukraine with the author and European insecurity specialist, Edward Lucas.
1: So European gas prices have surged today after Russia followed through on its threat to stop flows of gas to Poland and Bulgaria. Russia says it will keep the supplies turned off until two countries agree to Moscow's demands to pay for the fuel in rubles. Something that the EU has maintained is a breach of sanctions. But Bloomberg understands that four European gas buyers have already made gas payments in the Russian currency.
3: Meanwhile, Britain and the US say that they are seeking to work quickly to tighten trade ties. That's despite discussions on a full free trade deal between America and the UK being frozen. The US Trade Representative Catherine Tai held talks with Amory marie Trevelyan, uh, the Trade Secretary, and Bloomberg's Francine Lacqua has been speaking to her. Have a
4: listen. We've had some really good discussions over the last two days, both in Aberdeen and in London, and a month ago in Baltimore, uh, where I went across uh, to Uh, listen with Catherine Tai to stakeholders from across the U.S. on what's important to them to help us grow what is already an extraordinary bilateral trade relationship of uh, over 200 billion uh, pounds a year. We want to be uh, drilling down and understanding where uh, we can in a modern 21st century way, tackling not only uh, obvious uh, market access barriers, thinking about how we can drive forward uh, the digital trade principles, which uh, we agreed uh, during the U.K.'s G7 presidency last year uh, how we can support SMEs and those uh, young uh, female entrepreneurs and minority groups uh, who are not uh, yet able to uh, get the maximum benefit of our bilateral trade. So we've been discussing a wide range of areas, hearing from stakeholders UK and US about what's important to them. Uh, We've made really great progress and we've been able to set forward uh, a programme. We're going to put together a roadmap going forward the first next step of which will be uh, meetings in June uh, to discuss SMEs in more detail. Secretary, given the Biden administration still holding back on
0: actually fully negotiated a free trade agreement, what's your global priority? What are the other countries you also
4: want to negotiate with right now? So at the moment, uh, we are working uh, uh, in detail on our CPTPP accession, a really important uh, market for us, part of our Indo-Pacific pilt- tilt that we set forward in our integrated review last year, uh, looks to those enormous and growing markets. Uh, we are in discussions, as you'll be aware, because the Prime Minister was there at the weekend, uh, in discussions on how we progress our India free trade agreement. We're also uh, working uh, with a number of other countries, key partners like Canada and Mexico, uh, who are CPTPP. Uh, partners but also important trade partners in their own rights looking to progress those as well alongside Mm -hmm. Israel, Switzerland and another of other countries. We are uh, really keen to build those relationships, liberalise trade and make sure that the values of free and fair trade that the UK believes in are ones that we can help establish and maintain across the world.
1: Well, that was Anne-Marie Trevelli and the UK's International Trade Secretary speaking to Bloomberg's Francine Lacroix. Well, let's discuss today's political stories now with our guest, Drew Hendry, who is the SNP's trade spokesperson and MP for Inverness, Nen, Badenoch and Strathspey. Drew, thanks so much for joining us on Bloomberg Westminster. What are your hopes from talks with the US? Well, you
5: know, it's important to get Uh, trade deals done, that's uh, something that we've already always supported. Um, But I think you have to put it in the context of what we're losing at the moment. There's research that was just released yesterday um, pointing out the the tremendous damage that 's been done by the botched brexit uh, deal that 's been brought forward by the Tories, and no amount of deals all of these things cobbled together the you know the deals that they 're trying to do across with new zealand Australia with india at the moment can 't even touch the sides of what we 've lost um, in terms of eu uh, business and so yes, I want them to be successful, but I also want them to tackle some of the uh, the issues we 've seen the Prime Minister run off to India to escape uh, scrutiny rather than face his backbenchers and be accountable. But um, apparently didn't bother to raise any of the issues that are important in uh, trade deals on things like uh, human rights, on uh, the release of uh, Jagtar Singh Joel, who's been uh, illegally imprisoned in, uh, in India, or indeed uh, asking the Prime Minister Modi to condemn, condemn the Russian invasion of uh, Ukraine. These are all important things to be, uh, to be done But they're not being done because most of these deals that they're looking to pursue are for the pursuit of headlines rather than for the benefit of people across the nations of the UK.
3: Well, Anne-Marie Terelline talked about that, about the trade deal with India. Um, also, she mentioned the CPTPP. So this is the Trans-Pacific deal and the UK in the second and final stage of getting um, of accession to those talks. I mean, does the SNP not support the Westminster government uh, and their efforts to try to join that uh, bloc, the sort of tilt towards the Indo-Pacific?
5: Yeah, yeah. But of course, you know we we want to see uh, as many trade deals done as possible in order to boost business. But but the Tories are ignoring ignoring the catastrophic harm that's being done to. Uh, business across the nations of the UK, but specifically and uh, most um, uh, damagingly on the Scottish economy, where we have a a higher number of smaller and medium enterprises than in other nations across the UK, who are absolutely being hammered by the inability uh, of this Tory government to sort out uh, relations with our nearest and biggest market. Um, the EU. So yes we want to support these things but we also want to make sure that trade but deals are But we surely done have to move forward. Brexit is done
3: <laughs> it's finished. We've got to move on I mean the UK's got to look to other markets now and, and make real deals around the world we still,
5: we may be out of the EU and Brexit may be done. I would dispute that uh, description, by the way. Uh, but we still have to deal with our biggest market, which is on our doorstep, which is the European uh, Union. On top of that, you have to look at the the. Detail of the deals that are being done elsewhere. For example, you know, if you look at the Australian, New Zealand deals, where uh, you know the environmental protections and uh, rights that uh, that we've long cherished here, that protect our farmers here in the UK, and again, particularly in Scotland, are just being sold down the river. You know, we're faced with the prospect of getting hormone injected beef um, and other uh, you know uh, products coming into the UK that. Uh, don't meet the standards that we currently enjoy and undercutting uh, our own industry. So you know, yeah, these deals really have to be scrutinised properly and they're not going to touch the sides of what we're losing because of their inability to tackle the fact that they've caused great self-harm uh, in our nearest and biggest market, which is with our European neighbours.
1: Drew, the government, has, the government has said that it wants to be, it wants to maintain that we do keep um, hormone-treated beef out of any trade deals uh, with the US. But on this uh, subject, research from the LSE suggests that Brexit has led to a big drop in trade with Europe, imports and exports. Uh, how yeah. serious has that been for the UK economy? I mean, growth was pretty robust last year. Unemployment is low. It does seem that the economy is uh, continuing to survive without, uh, w- w- despite that dra- drop in trade with Europe.
5: We're seeing the results of the drop in trade and the higher prices every day with the cost of living crisis. Inflation is rocketing. And one of the driving factors in inflation is the fact that it's now costing more to import goods. It's costing more to produce and deal with the paperwork. And all these costs are being passed on to consumers. It's an absolutely avoidable situation um, we could be having much lower prices than we've got at the moment. But because, again, because of the, uh, the, the absolute shambles of the way they've conducted themselves over Brexit, we still don't have uh, businesses that are now confident enough to export to the uh, EU. And indeed, we've got businesses that are importing who are having to pass those costs on mm. to the, the consumers. So it's a vicious cycle. Um, that they've entered into at the moment. And all the distracting, headline-grabbing uh, you know, visits to other countries at the moment can't get away from that indisputable fact that there is real harm being done to the UK economy.
3: What about uh, another topic, if I may, can I move on to uh, what the BBC is reporting um, today uh, and, and others are too, that, that government policies on discharging patients from hospital into care homes without them being tested for COVID has been found to be unlawful by the High Court. Um, there, this was a practice also that was taking place in Scotland. There were terrible mistakes that were made, but that this practice was unlawful is a very serious finding.
5: Well, you know, the Scottish Government and Nicola Sturgeon has always been clear that, uh, you know, where mistakes have been made, she's been upfront and honest and clear about that. Um, You know, I haven't seen the... I don't cover health at Westminster, Mm -hmm. and I'm not a member of the Scottish Government, so I've not seen uh, the details of that uh, yet. But what I can tell you is that, you know, there has been absolute clarity about the actions that were taken by the Scottish Government. I think that stands in uh, quite clear contrast to... Uh, what's happened across the rest of the UK, which has been backed up in in numerous polls about people's um, views and satisfaction with the way different governments have been dealing with these things.
3: Well, Um, one could argue that that is how the SNP would like to paint it. But in this instance, it looks like the exact same errors were made in England and across the UK, as well as in Scotland.
5: Well, as I say, I haven't seen that um, report. I haven't seen the details of that. But yes, I would... I would say that mistakes were uh, definitely made across, you know, the, all the nations of the UK during the pandemic. The difference is that in Scotland, the first minister's uh, been very clear about uh, that fact and has been open and honest with the public about it. So, yeah, yeah, I accept. The, uh, the point in principle as I say I can't give you the detail on it um, but, uh, but, but I think there's been a very different approach to uh, dealing with that and indeed looking forward to learning the lessons from uh, what's, been, uh, what's been experienced during the pandemic
0: The countdown has begun from May 14th to 16th a thousand global leaders will gather in Doha for the Qatar Economic Forum powered by Bloomberg
3: Let's have a look at what else is making news in the world of politics today. For that, we're joined by Bloomberg's Leanne Garins. Good morning, Leanne. The Trussell Trust reporting a big surge in households relying on food banks. I mean, this is the cost of living only getting worse, isn't it? You've just hit the nail on the
6: head there, Caroline. It's the cost of living crisis, which is really accelerating this move for people to use food banks. And it's also dragging more and more people into poverty. Now, I do feel like the cost of living squeeze has been on the top of the agenda for a long time. But this is the reason why. The Trestle Trust, it's one of the biggest food banks here in the UK. And it said aid delivery parcels have jumped by 14 percent. That to 1.2 million in the year through to March compared with levels before the pandemic. So we're seeing this massive increase really accelerating. And I feel like we've seen time and time again parents saying that they have to skip meals so their children have meals to eat. And this is something that the Trestle Trust are saying is happening. And it just really now puts pressure on the Prime Minister, Boris Johnson's whole government, to make the welfare safety net more generous Remember, we did hear from the Chancellor of the Exchequer, Rishi Sunak, that was in his spring statement back in March. But the um, measures he put in place for the economy mainly helped people in employment, really skipping those on benefits, pensioners and also students. Remember, student loans are now going up the interest rate there. So this is now going to be really interesting. We're not far from those local elections. They're just almost days away. And as this one that's going to be featuring when people go to the polls to place their votes.
1: Well, we started the week, Leanne, talking about the uh, Mail on Sunday story about Angela Rayner, the deputy uh, Labour leader. Lots of criticism, widespread condemnation of that report. But the uh, front page of the Mail, uh, responding to the request by the Commons speaker, the Mail is not taking this lying down, is it?
6: Really, it's not. And I remember reading this on page five of the Mail on Sunday, on Sunday, being a little bit shocked. I was like, wow, they're accusing Angela Rayner of distracting the Prime Minister Boris Johnson in the Commons with her leg, using basic instinct tactics. If you've watched that film, I don't need to explain the details. However, as you say there, Ewan, it's really interesting because the editor of the newspaper, that's David Dillian, now he says journalists are free to report what they are told and shouldn't take instruction from officials of the House of Commons. And this publication was widely criticised, but he is refusing to meet Lindsay Hoyles. um, Mm -hmm. And he's going to reject that invitation to discuss the piece of journalism And this just shows that they
3: feel like if a journalist gets a lead, they should be able to run with it. Okay, but it's unnamed sources. So, um, you know, defending themselves in the name of press freedom um, for this sort of story, I think there'll be a lot of question marks around it. But um, I think it's very interesting nonetheless. And I did know that Boris Johnson
6: even condemned this himself. and Because it's sexist and misogynist.
3: uh, And the big
6: problem is, you remember Tulip Sadiq, the Labour MP she said would this put women wanting to go for jobs in government because of this kind of attitude that's been circling around for so long and Angela Rayner thinks misogyny and classism was really behind that weekend newspaper article and it implied that she was thick and promiscuous so she's also hitting back pretty hard on the article so let's see where this goes I knew this had legs I had a feeling
1: got legs. Very good. (laughs) Uh, Leanne Garins, thanks so much for joining us.
3: Right, now on to Russia, because it's making good on its threat to stop gas flows to countries that refuse to pay. In rubles, Gazprom says that it stops supplies to Poland and Gol- Bulgaria today. Poland has said that it has enough gas in storage and that consumers won't feel the hit. Joining us now is Edward Lucas, who is Senior Fellow at the Centre for European Policy Analysis uh, and, and a, a deep kind of mind when it comes to Eastern Europe and uh, energy and security issues. So I'm pleased to have you on the programme. How significant do you think this is in terms of escalation? It's been kind of rumoured for many weeks that Russia could use this tactic.
2: It is an escalation and it's both an attempt to punish Poland for its very important role as the main Western base for getting stuff into Ukraine and as a country that has Um, impose tough sanctions on Russia. And it's also a warning to the rest of Europe that Russia could cut the gas off to other countries, particularly uh, Germany and Italy, which have very heavy gas dependency. So it's clearly significant in those ways. Um, I don't think it's going to work because I think that Europe for now is determined to support Ukraine and will take... um, the economic pain of doing so, um, whichever way Russia chooses to deliver it. That's
1: interesting you say you don't think it'll work. Interesting uh, Bloomberg scoop today that four European gas buyers have already paid for supplies in rubles. Do you think this is going to blow over in as far as, you you know, Europe needs Russia's gas and Russia needs the money?
2: I would question whether Russia really needs the money in that I don't think Putin adopts the basic sort of approach of most leaders, that their job is to make that country um, richer and safer. He's heading Russia off in a direction that makes it poor and isolated, but he's doing it for things, for reasons that he thinks are much more important. So I think he's shown a willingness to take enormous economic pain and great risk, and he will continue to do that, whatever we do, at least in the short term. I think that Europe will suffer a jolt to living standards. That means jobs, profits, wages, turning down thermostats, um, speed limits on motorways possibly. So there will be some economic pain. And But Europe has already decided it wants to move away from Russian gas after you know, 40 years of saying that this comes as a risk-free option. They now realise it's anything but. And so we're seeing the death knell of Russia's rollers, Europe's main energy supplier, not before time, I would say. And um, the political consequences of that will will go a long way into Mm. the future.
3: So you don't think that it's then a Russian attempt at a short, sharp shock, but that it is something that could turn into sort of more long-term pressure, as you, as you mentioned. At the, at the moment, it f- sounds like a shot across the bowels um, because Poland and Bulgaria, you know, have enough at least for a few weeks. And in the past, when you've seen um, Russia um, not cut off gas supplies, but certainly kind of um, take some steps towards weakening supplies, you know, it lasted a couple of weeks or so. so. But you see this as longer term, perhaps?
2: No, I think this is, Russia is attempting to deliver a short, sharp shock To Europe, but I don't think this on its own will be enough to make Europe change its mind. I think what would really potentially work would be the use of nuclear weapons, either in a demonstrative way or actually on on the battlefield. That might make the Europeans say we want a complete change in policy, and we will arm twist the Ukrainians into accepting a peace deal because we're really scared. But I don't think that the use of the gas weapon is enough to scare Europe in its current mood.
1: I want to talk to you about uh, reports that the Foreign Secretary is to uh, call on uh, the West to double down on their support for Ukraine by sending tanks, uh, heavy weapons and and warplanes in support uh, of of Ukraine. How much of that is an escalation of what we've already seen? uh, And how much further can we go along that, that, that path, really?
2: Well, I think that what's happening is that Ukrainians are dying in large numbers in horrible ways. And as they do so, it changes what we think is politically possible. And if you cast your mind back to the uh, beginning of the war or the weeks before the war, our only worry was don't provoke Russia. And we ignored many and missed many chances to uh, bolster Ukraine's Defences and to make thus would have made war less likely. Now we see the horrible, destructive, convulsive horror of of the war, and we are changing our minds about what to do. And every week something becomes possible that was not possible last week. And I don't think that this um, trajectory is exhausted by far. And we will move on from heavy weapons um, and jets, I suspect, to more uh, sophisticated weapons and trainers. And, and I think eventually we're heading for a confrontation with Russia. I just wish we'd done it earlier. Um, it would have saved a lot of time and trouble and we'd have been more likely to win it.
3: Um, you have written in the past about political and professional elites in the UK simply being, you know, too uh, open to, to Russian money and um, Do you think that that is really changing? Are the rules tough enough? Um, Is the enforcement there in Britain? I know that we've obviously enacted a lot of sanctions, but it's about sort of following through on that.
2: You're absolutely right. There's a real mismatch between the very bold, I might even say, dose of bravado in term when it comes to um, military assistance to Ukraine, still too little and far too late, as I as I mentioned. But it's uh, Britain's in the forefront now on the military side, and yet the complete absence of serious enforcement when it comes to dirty money sloshing around our financial system and our legal system and our political system and we've seen rather gimmicky announcements of new anti-kleptocracy cells and so on but the plain fact is that our enforcement is rubbish and it's we have far too few people they're not paid enough, they're not um, trained enough, they don't have the resources, they're not networked enough and we um, apply only the most vestigial real Sanctions um, to people who are laundering their money and their reputation through our system. We don't do anything against the enablers, the bankers and lawyers and accountants who make it possible. And I wish we did. We've been um, very, I think, arrogant and ignorant and timid and complacent, but also downright greedy over the last 30 years. And it's been a kind of black hole at the heart of our system that. Uh, very dodgy people, not only from Russia, but from Azerbaijan and Kazakhstan and many other countries, um, come to this country and basically get away with anything they want.
1: Bloomberg Westminster. Listen weekdays at noon on DAB Digital Radio in London.
0: The countdown has begun from May 14th to 16th.